Now you folks had asked me this morning if I was going to preach to you. And I said I didn't know. I was, I was telling the truth. But, you know, plus you, you don't make sure people come back. Right. So you don't, you don't tell them you're going to preach. And uh, did the pastor slip out or see he... Oh, oh okay. All right. I, you know, my, my daughter has two sons. And they said they were naming the second one after me and they named him Garrison. <laughs> I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out, but anyway, Kathy and I were thinking about um, when did we first start visiting here at Calvary, and it was, how old was Spurgeon? 33. Okay, we were down here on vacation, and um, and to answer everybody else, no, I don't golf. I I've tried a few times, and my dad just shook his head, and so I quit. But we were down here on vacation, and we had to, I had to run Kathy up to the hospital in Alamance so she could have Spurgeon. So I know it's, it's been more than 33 years. And it's been a real blessing to us. Appreciate your uh, hospitality, your friendliness to us. We appreciate uh, being able to come here, being away from home, and you know, go where we can hear some preaching and have some good uh, Christian fellowship. So this church has been a real blessing to us. If you open your Bibles to John 14, I didn't bring a sermon with me, but we'll just look at this passage a little bit. I don't usually preach like that. And when I do, and I'm not as prepared, my wife always goes, oh no. Because she thinks that's it's going to be about twice as long. So, see, what time is it? I, I can't see the clock back there. Oh! Okay. Alright, John 14. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself. And that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For the privilege of being here tonight, we thank you for allowing us to hold in our hands the, the very Word of God. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that He would teach each of us about the great needs of our lives and help us to believe in the Lord Jesus. And I pray in His name. 
Amen. You know, I know that uh, Calvary is fairly politically astute congregation. And, uh, you know, things have been a lot of change since COVID started. Uh, but amazingly, we've seen some amazing Supreme Court decisions, you know, regarding abortion, for example. I, I never thought I would ever see that. We've had uh, a real good decision on the Second Amendment. And it, if you, again, if you're following the news, you know that it seems like those decisions were never made. Our government's more against and attacking people that own firearms. There's states all over that are making sure that they pass laws that make sure that you can still kill babies. And we're seeing um, innocent people, good people arrested and going through court, things like that. We've got a president who uh, basically says we're vermin that need to be exterminated. Uh, one, one government person said uh, recently that... Uh, you know, the people that supported Trump are Republicans, you know, the conservatives. He says we need to kill them. And uh, so I figure I'm in somewhere, I'm, I'm in, on a endangered, endangered species list or something like that. But people everywhere are scared, even liberals. I, it's amazing... I've never thought I would hear liberals talk about civil war, about having it, and them, you know, usually the whole news media thing is that people who are conservatives and Republicans and Christians, they're the uh, racist, and we're the ones that are out to overthrow the government and things like that. But uh, now we're getting people on the left um, talking about overthrowing the government and dividing the country and having civil war and things like that. And I, I meet people and I hear people who are afraid. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're afraid about these things. Uh, we're, my wife was talking with a family member. Uh, their family is going through some... Their kids have got... They're adults, but their children going through some trials, sickness, things like that, and uh, they see people that, you know, that they'll mention something about it and people want to pray. They're in Walmart or something like that or in some other store. Whereas before, you know, it seemed like people were uh, not as bold about those types of things. Um, my wife was in a store the other day and this lady... The black lady that was working there, um, they, they talked about praying or something, and she was so upset. Some young uh, girl had jumped all over her and read the riot act, how she this woman had disrespected her. And she said if it hadn't been for a, another a man there and some other people who started kind of crowding around her, she thought she would have been attacked. And so there are things like that happening all over our country. Um, 
And this passage, when Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled, are we practicing that? It's a command. Let not your heart be troubled. I notice he, he doesn't say, let not your mind be troubled. It's more than just a mental or logical thing. It's something that affects us in our emotions and in our attitudes and it affects every part about us. We know that Luke said in the latter days that men's hearts would be failing them for fear. That's not supposed to be us. But I want you to think about where the disciples were when Jesus gave them this command. Don't let your heart be troubled. In chapter 12, Jesus had told them uh, in verse 32, and, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men into me. They knew what that meant. They knew when he's talking about being lifted up, he was talking about crucifixion. And what we see all throughout the Gospels is that the twelve did... I think the, probably the one that understood it the most was Judas. The twelve had trouble picturing Jesus as the Lamb of God. Now several of them were followers of John the Baptist before they ever followed the Lord Jesus. And he said, you know, he identified Jesus twice, Behold the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. But somehow or another, their focus, and I think this was true of Israel altogether, they were looking for a conquering king. A Messiah would come back and rule the world, uh, like they read about in Isaiah. But they happened to kind of seem like overlook Isaiah 53. And it's probably like us. Dwight was talking about some things this morning, you know, about prophecy and so forth. And if you look and you see Jesus is the Messiah is going to be a king, son of David. He's going to rule in Jerusalem or rule the world. Well, how does that fit in with him being the Lamb of God? And so if you're going to choose one or the other, and that's something you can't do when you study the Bible. You can't choose one truth over another truth that seem to contradict each other. We've got to figure out and understand how they fit together and how the will of God is explained. But apparently the disciples didn't do a very good job of that. And, you know, one time, at least, when Jesus had fed a bunch of people, He says He immediately took them away, His disciples away, and went across the sea because they were going to take Him and make Him a king. That's what they were looking for, a political leader. And I'm going to tell you this, I'm definitely politically conservative. I am registered as a Republican, but conservatives are not always our friends. You need to understand that. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus, certainly not in the Republican Party. I'm more disappointed, discouraged by the Republican Party than I am the liberals. They're the Democrats. I'm expecting, I know what they're going to do, but, you know, I heard a, I'm getting off, getting a little off here, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I heard a guy saying the other day on the news that, uh, um, you know, Republicans run to get elected 
and Democrats run to get power. So the Republican gets in there and that's all he wants. <laughs> He's not going to overturn. They never do overturn what the Democrats have done. But when the Democrats get in there, they're ready to do business. That's a discouraging thing. But what we face today couldn't be, well, it could be if we let it, as discouraging as the disciples were at this point when Jesus told them, let not your heart be troubled. So he made this reference to being crucified. He was told him he was going to go away. And they're saying, go away. He's talked to him about dying and being betrayed and all this. And they're they're gotta be thinking, what well, you know, die? And rising from the dead? My question is, why didn't they ask Jesus about that? What does that mean? What are you talking about dying? If they didn't understand, why didn't they ask him? I think they were afraid to. Might mess up their theology a little bit. But in this previous chapter, Jesus had been talking about some of these things. He had, uh, they'd had the Passover meal. He had, you know, girded himself on the towel and he washed their feet and things like that. And they're they're probably really confused. He says he's going away. He says one of you is going to betray me. And they all said, is, is it me? Now, you know how holidays are. Passover is the biggest holiday of the Jewish year. People come by the millions to Jerusalem during that time. They, you, know, they, you have to find a place where you can stay, where you can eat the Passover meal. So It was the biggest thing of the year. But that brings a lot of, you know, you're traveling, there's stress, you've got to find the right arrangements, you're tired. And here they are at night, and Jesus is talking to them at this meal, and He says, I've, I've been waiting for this time. I want to talk to you. And He, he, um, he says in... Uh, and at the end of chapter 13, he's talking to them about them loving each other. And in verse 36, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Now that's all that John records, but we know Peter didn't stop there. He said, I'll never deny you. And Jesus rebuked him. I believe he called him Satan, didn't he? He had at least earlier in his life. If you can think about how confused these men are, you're, you're leaving? Where are you going? You're not telling us these things? You've been telling us you're going to die? Here we are in Jerusalem. This is time for you to be crowned king. And Jesus voices these, this command, let not your heart be troubled. In other words... Your heart, your soul, your inner man, your very being, 
They, they believed on the Lord. They were, they loved Him more than anyone or anything else in the world. And here he is, he's a young man. He, he, all their faith, their whole Old Testament faith as they understood it is in the Messiah. And here he is. And he's gonna, he says he's going to die. He says he's going to leave them. Well, you know, it would be hard to comprehend what they felt like. But we do go through things that are very, very troubling. If you have a loved one die, you are, you know, there's all kind of circumstances that happen in families. And for somebody to say, you know, don't, don't worry about it, don't be troubled, we think that, that is impossible. But this is a command. Now, we can control our emotions and our thoughts. And just to show you that, demonstrate that from a just a secular, everyday um, situation, you know. Uh, what if Pastor and, Ms., Pastor and Mrs. Garrison are having a, you know, just a little bit of an argument, and nobody's around? And you know, this is just totally make believe, but their their tempers are starting to get up a little bit, you know, and. And maybe the voices are getting up a little bit. And uh, maybe it's been 40 years, but Pastor Garrison, you know, the thermometer goes just like that. And he's getting ready to yell, and all of a sudden the phone rings. Hello? This is Pastor Garrison. In other words... I'm sure he never gets out of control or anything, but you know, most of us get angry once in a while. But all that he, where you you feel like you're out of control and you're, and then all of a sudden the phone rings and what do we do? Everything's under control. We got to maintain. We don't know who's on the phone. We gotta we gotta change our tone of voice, our whole thing. We we gotta just stop right there and. Most of us can do that. Right? Okay. You're not you're not agreeing. <laughs> so we can do it. But to remain under control and our hearts not be troubled. This is what he's telling us. This is a part of our belief in God. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So he's, he's told them that what they have been thinking all this time was not accurate. He's going to go away and he's going to come back. But he said, you believe in God, believe also in me. And then he gives them some truth. In my Father's house are many mansions. I really hate to do this, but I'm going to. Uh, And probably you already know it. But the word that's translated mansions right there in verse 2, in verse 23, at the end of verse 23, is translated abode. Uh, 
We, we all use the King James for a lot of good reasons. But there are some words that are older, and the word mansion comes from manse. We think of a mansion as, you know, something about $15 million or something like that, but I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and our religious group owned a manse. I don't even know what that is. Okay, just just the preacher, a couple of a manse is a house that is owned for the, so the pastor can and his family can live there. It doesn't have to be, and most of the time I'm sure it's not really a big nice house, you know. And that's what he's talking about, a place for you to live. As it says there in verse 23, make our abode with him, make our take the word we'd say our mansion. So Jesus is not really saying, I've got the most glorious place for you. He's saying, I've got a place for you to stay. And there's enough for every one of you. You know, if you've got family coming, just to be able to say, we we got room for all of you. Just come on. And we'll feed you. And you know, toiletries, we've got tiles, clean sheets, we got it all. We're, I'm, pre- I'm prepared for you. That's not talking about wealth and glory, it's just talking about love and fellowship. And so he, he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. Bring it under control. And he tells them some truths that they need to be mindful of. Believe in God. Believe also in me. We're, we're one and the same. We're different persons. But the Father, the Son, the Spirit, we're all God. And we have a place prepared for you folks. And he said, it's the truth. I would have told you this. Now, you know, we, we're... Some, some of us are more conspiratorial in nature. And, you know, we hear about food shortages. If you don't have gas, if you don't have petroleum, you're going to have food shortages. Uh, you haven't got gas for your car, you haven't got oil to make it go, you're in bad shape. Oil products are used for fertilizer. And we're, we're very easily on the point where, and I know you've been thinking about it, some of you, I'm trying to get a generator hooked up in my house. Just living in North Carolina where there's hurricanes, you've you got to have some way to have power if you live out in the country a little bit. got to some, have something to pump your well water. But people all over the country are thinking about these things. I'm not asking, I'm not going to ask him if you bought a thousand rounds of ammo in the last month, but that's, you know, that's one of the things people are doing. I remember back during Obama, they, we couldn't get ammo. But I guess they're able to produce more now. And it's, it's kind of funny that two, Republic, uh, two Democrat presidents are the greatest sellers of ammo in the United States history. But, you know, if you have a place where all your needs are going to be taken care of, 
Why would your heart be troubled? He says, I'm going away, but He's coming back. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And part of this, I believe, is the wedding picture. You know, in the, in the Bible, basically the, the routine for uh, weddings was they did not have engagement. Betrothal is not engagement. It's marriage. Uh, a young man would go to the father and say, I, hey, I, I think your daughter is terrific and I want to marry her. And he'd say, well, how much money have you got? Well, I got three cows out there, and you know, you, you you pay the dowry, and then when they sign on the the document, make the agreement, you are married. You know, Joseph didn't want to divorce his wife, but they weren't. They we think they weren't married yet. Well, they were, but they weren't living together. They were betrothed. You had to divorce to get out of that. He was going to put her away privily. So what a a man would do would go to his his hopeful bride and he would make an arrangement with the dad. They would sign that contract. She would be his wife and then he would leave. And he would go back and he would prepare a place for her to live. And she would have her hope chest, you know, that she's been saying up already ever since she's two years old, you know. But he would go back and prepare a place for her. And then, it, ladies, I know you'd love this. At some unannounced time, he would just show up with a big crowd of his buddies and say, hey, today's the wedding day. We got the marriage supper prepared and all that. And she had to be ready. I mean... Probably if I'd have done that to my wife, she would have needed a few rounds uh, to take care of me like that. But that's what he's talking about. He's going to go away and prepare a place for his bride and he's going to come again and receive her unto himself. Now we just, uh, before we came up here yesterday, I was uh, took part in a wedding. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, two people, one of them's a pastor's daughter, another's a guy that grew up in our church. He got saved about two and a half years ago, all the time he'd been in the church. And we, we did have some questions, but he, he got saved, and what a difference in his life. And so now this girl, he, he, they've you know, gotten engaged and married, got married yesterday, and uh, you know, <laughs> that's a highlight of the year. What a wonderful thing that is. Two people come together in the will of God. But when Jesus comes back for His bride, that's going to be the greatest wedding of all time. And the Bible, Revelation talks about the wedding feast, the wedding supper. And what a time that's going to be. There, There won't be any questions, there won't be any worries because He has prepared a place for all of us. And so he says, in my, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
Now, we have a description in Revelation of the place that we call heaven. And it says the streets are paved with gold. But it's not like gold that any of us have. It's, it's clear. This glorified gold, all the, all the impurities. You know, you purify gold seven times. You know, the Bible talks about that. You heat it up and gold's heavy. So the impurities float to the top when you heat it up and you melt the gold. The impurities come to the top and you scoop it off. And if you do that seven times, that's, that's pretty clean gold. You know, you probably if you got a wedding band on like me, it's 14 karat. That's not very pure gold. It has to have other metals in it to make it hard. You can bend gold, you know. You've seen the old Western movies where they get a piece of gold and they bite down on it because if it crunches or your teeth do, you're in trouble. It's not gold. Gold is malleable. And so we there's this gold on the streets up there. And there's, there's no wicked people. There's no crime. There's no sin. It's the only place where there's been a pure city. And we had that. That's what we're looking forward to. But the, the big thing about it, the greatest thing about it, it's, it's not mansions. It's not gold streets. It's the fact that Jesus is there. And His great joy and all He's been, everything that He's done is for that moment when He can bring all His redeemed, His bride to Him. Um, and that's what He wants us to understand. He's going to prepare a place for us. He is coming again to receive us unto Himself, not to a, a mansion. You know, Maybe some of the girls, your unmarried girls, your thoughts have wandered while I was talking about this and say, well, I, you know, I'd like to have a house with 14 bedrooms and all this. But you know, the, the Bible even talks about that. He said, of course, it's the other way around. It, the Bible says that it's living in a big house with a brawling woman is, is not any fun. But if you're living in a hut with the Lord Jesus. That's a totally different matter. That's what makes heaven heaven, is being there with the Lord. And the fact is, He was right there with them when He said, let not your heart be troubled. Now they could have thought back to the time they were in the boat and water was coming in, and that most of them were fishermen, and they'd been on that lake, and they probably knew friends that had drowned on a storm like that. And they're thinking, this is the end, and you know, the Messiah's with us, he's going to drown too. And then he, he just stands up and says, Get quiet! And the waves go down, the wind stops blowing, and they bowed to him because they knew he was God. But they still lived with a man. <laughs> who had flesh and blood like they did. And so he's telling them these things. They don't understand. And he says, don't, don't be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Now, 
the Lord's allowed me to learn to do this a good bit in my in my life, and I, I think part of it began when I was a child. My mom did most of the spanking. There's three boys, and um, you know, if I did something she told me not to, or if I didn't do something like she told me to, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, she was not slow on pulling the trigger on the, you know, either I, sometimes we had to go out and cut your own switch off the uh, pussy willow tree out there. You know, they got little knots on the limbs. So uh, she would spank me, and then when she got through, she might, you know, I might cry for a minute. She said, that's enough. And that meant no more tear, no more sobbing, all that. It's going to stop. Because if it didn't, she'd give me reason to keep going a few more minutes, you know. Anybody else have a mother like that? Some of the older people. I, I know younger younger people didn't have that problem. But so I had to learn. I, my mom say say things like this. I don't like your attitude. So I, you know, you didn't go around with the poochie lip or complaining or. You know, you, you had to, it was time to perk up. And Jesus is telling us, you need to do that. Let not your heart be troubled. And if you answer the phone like I talked about, if you've ever done that, then you know how to do it. But the point is, are we doing that? And Jesus has told us not to be focused and to be concerned about things we don't that scare us, but that we don't understand. You know, where are we going to get food? Where are we going to get gas? Well, Jesus said He'd provide all of our needs, didn't He? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I'm... I know I don't look it, but I'm 65 now. <laughs> so for 65 years, the Lord's taken care of every single need that I have. And when I became a pastor, they hired me for $8,000 a year. I was coming out of college. Actually, I had an undergrad and a grad degree, and I... $8,000. I didn't have insurance. And then I, I added a wife. And then some kids. We still didn't have insurance, health insurance. And actually, I'm a pretty wealthy guy right now. Why? Because the Lord has supplied all of our needs. Why would I ever be afraid? And I'm not thinking about Americanism. I'm thinking about faith in God. I mean, I believed Him that He would save me from my sins and give me eternal life. And He says He's going to prepare a place for me. He's going to come again. When you, when you get trouble, when you get in trouble, do you, do you think about, what do you think about most of the time when we have panic attacks and worry and are short with the people we love the most, things like that is because 
we're thinking about something over and over in our minds that is foolish to be thinking about. I think I've used this illustration here before, but I used to be a, a tremendous worrier as a young person. And then I started memorizing scripture and that helped me some. But when I, I remember one time in particular where it would work just like that. I mean, if, if you've got temptation, you know, whatever your temptations are, and you can get rid of it just like that, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't usually work that way. But I was sitting in my first year of graduate school in the class of Old Testament introduction, which was supposed to be the hardest class in grad school in my program. And the teacher got up there and laid out everything we're going to do for the year. And I, my breathing started picking up a little bit. <laughs> and I thought, how, how am I going to get through this? I'll never have, I, mean, I was working and going to school and, and I, I, I was starting to panic. How am I going to be able to do this? And then I started thinking, I'm 22 years old. I started school when I was five. I went through high school, made good grades, got into college, made good grades there, graduated with honors. And here I'm worried about one class. God had helped me through all that. Why am I, do I think He's not going to help me now? And all of a sudden I just went, I'm, I'm, my heart's not troubled anymore. Because our mind should be doing this. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just. Listen, if I think Pastor Garrison said that this morning. If you read the newspaper or hear the news or read it online or whatever, and you get disturbed by it, it's because you're believing people who are liars. I mean, I have a few news sources I read. Now, my email comes up on Yahoo, so I see their headlines. If, if that's all I looked at, I mean I, I'd, I mean, I wouldn't even have the little bit of hair that I have now. I would have pulled it out, or it had fallen out on its own, because I just, when I read the, the things there, I know that it's either totally a lie, or they're putting their slant on the truth so that it's a lie. And if I let that control my thinking... I mean, Kathy and I are not going to get along. I'm not going to be preaching on the right things when I go to minister to my church. I'm going to have problems with everybody I come in contact with because my mind is focused on things that are not true that upset me, that trouble my heart. And so when things like that happen, I mean, I, I know, I know you've tried it. You're all upset about something. What are we going to do? And I'm not just talking about political things. You know, you may have a spouse that says they're going to leave you. You got to have a kid. Maybe you got a kid that's sick. And so you take it to the Lord and you pray. And then when you finish praying, you're more worried about it. We hadn't learned to cast our. Care upon the Lord. 
We're kind of like the guy that was walking down the road carrying a big old sack on his back. Man comes along in a horse-drawn wagon. Guy stops and says, Hey, need a ride? Oh yeah, I'd really like, I need that. I'm, I'm worn out. He says, Well, get in there, put, it, put that in the back and, and I'll carry as far as you need to go. So he gets up there. He's sitting on the back. The guy's driving the horse, he turned around and looked, and the guy's sitting on the back. He's still got that big old thing on his shoulder. He's riding in the wagon, but he's, he's bearing all the load. And that's the way we tend to do with the Lord. But He's told us here, He's the way, He's the truth, He's the life. He's the only way to come to the Father, and He's been preparing a place for us and He's going to come and get us Himself. Why are we troubled? Look, okay, the Republicans, or they're not going to do it. I mean, I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm rejoiced. We thank the Lord over and over for the decision, you know, about the Supreme Court made about abortion and so forth. That's the way it should be. That's the way the law says it's up to the states. It ought to be outlawed altogether. But at least they made a good decision where the states could say, you know, it's illegal. We're, we rejoice in that. We thank the Lord for that. But that's not the basis of whether I'm troubled or joyful. The basis is the truth that Jesus give, has given to us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Our joy, our focus ought to be in the Lord. And so if we, if we go there and pray, you know, it says, be careful for nothing, but all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall uh, keep, your, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Say, so, well, I pray and I don't, that peace, it, it doesn't pass understanding. I, yeah, it's, it's passed away. I don't, I don't know where it is. Well, it says several things. In all things by prayer. And so when you start worrying and you're being anxious, you're being careful, you're being troubled, you're focusing on the wrong thing. So go to the Lord in prayer. And what do you do? You thank Him for the way He's taken care of everything you've ever had in the past. Even the bad things have worked out for good in the Lord's will. So be careful of nothing but all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Well then it says we're to think on things that are good and pure. That's why we, we need to read and memorize this thing. And so you can replace. I don't know how many people have ever had in here to quit smoking, but they say I got a guy in our church. He's a heavy drug user and so forth. He said quitting smoking cigarettes is a lot more difficult than some of the other stuff he used to use. But you have to replace it. That's the reason a lot of people <laughs> gain weight when they quit smoking is because they replace cigarettes with food. But in this case, we have to replace these thoughts that are running through our mind with the truth of Scripture. 
We have to be thinking about the Lord. I can tell you this. That girl that got married yesterday, now she could have focused on all the details and really being a high strung, you know, she could have been flipped out. A lot of, that's the way a lot of weddings are. But she was just as happy. I don't know if she ever kissed a boy before or not. When she grabbed that guy out there, you may now kiss the bride. She grabbed a hold of him. I mean, it was, I thought, good night. <laughs> she, her focus is on the right thing. I don't mean kissing him, but that's something to look forward to. I mean, let's face it. But it, it was on the groom. And that's why she was happy. She got married in the Lord's will. And she wouldn't focus on all the, the wedding. That was just a means to being united with her husband. And you think about this. If the Lord were to come tonight... And he gets a bride who's all troubled about all these things that in eternity are not going to matter. And they're not really, don't even really matter now because the Lord's going to take care of them for us. If you've been troubled, you need to stop. I, I know it's difficult, but we need to put in our minds Scripture and put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. If you're saved, you can do that. You have the Holy Spirit. If you're not saved, verse 6 is the answer. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We can come to God through Him and nobody else. He's the answer. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this church. I thank You for... The fact that it's evident that many of these folks, possibly all of them here tonight, but Lord, you know what's in their hearts. There's no doubt in my mind that uh, your saints, people that walk with you, they've been troubled at times. I thank you that some of them have learned to overcome that trouble. I pray that you be with those who really struggle with basically being negative, focusing upon this world and the things that are out of, seem to be out of control and the bad that seems to be everywhere. I pray that You'd help them to realize that You're preparing a place for us. You're coming again. Whatever thing we face in life, You're going to guide us through that, give us strength and grace to deal with it. And help us just to learn to rejoice in You. And Father, the person that's really afraid because they have no Savior, I pray that tonight they'd realize they need to turn to You just like a woman would to a husband who can take care of her, who's wealthy, who loves her, who's wise. Help them realize, Lord, any person like that, 
that You're far better and greater than anything we'd have to face in life. And that it makes all the sense in the world to cast our souls upon You for salvation. Lord, have Your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.